Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Have you ever looked around what's going on in the world and thought to yourself, what am I doing here? <laughs> or have you ever sung, we gotta get out of this place? That's a normal thing. I don't feel comfortable in this world. And that's a good thing, because if I felt comfortable, it might mean that I'm not looking for my comfort in another world. I don't belong here. We are just here for a short time. You know, I was born in Jamaica, and we moved to California in 1966. And we went back to Jamaica a while ago. I've always wanted to go scuba diving. I've been snorkeling, you know, where you kind of look down on the fish and the coral reefs and everything. But I go, man, it would be so great to go in to their world and be a part of it for a while. Last time we were there, we did a scuba diving excursion. One of the things you had to do was you had to be certified. So you went through a course. One of the things I didn't realize was like how heavy those tanks are on the earth. But when you go in the world they're made for, you just don't even feel it. And it was amazing. I probably lasted 45 minutes or something, but and we didn't go too deep, 30, 40 feet. But there's a lot of stuff down 30 feet that you don't see when you're just snorkeling. It was amazing to see that this world exists. It's like a whole new world. And here's the thing. If you ever go scuba diving, I want to give you some free advice. Make sure your tank's full of air. That would be the first thing because you're not made for down there. So you have to bring the air from this world to that world. It's kind of like we're made for another world as a believer, but our body isn't yet. We are of another world, which is heaven. In fact, the Bible says we're already seated with Jesus in heaven. But because this body is not capable of breathing that air, so to speak. It's not ready yet. That's the struggle we have. So when Jesus says, be in the world, we're in the world. Our body is made for this world, and we are here to do things for the Lord, but not of the world. We have to remember, we breathe another air. In fact, the breath of heaven, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, lives in us. But this body is not ready for that habitat. You know whose body is currently? Jesus. Jesus, the first person to receive that new resurrected glorified body. I look forward to receiving that one day. We should all do that. And so when things look chaotic and disorderly as it is in the world, we have to remember that that's because we're not of this world. We're of another world. And we struggle in this world because we have the breath of heaven living in us by the Spirit of God, but we're stuck here with these heavy tanks, so to speak, that are really heavy to walk around with and look and see what's going on in this world, and we get depressed and we get discouraged. And so today I'm starting this new series called Not of the World. There's a hashtag on it. For a long time, I go, what the heck are hashtags? I thought it was like a tic-tac-toe game, you know, first. 
But I guess they categorize things that way. And that's how the world operates. But we're not of the world. So the hashtag is there to remind us that we're in the world. But all these things are going to fade away. What never fades away is the new world, God's world. Second Corinthians 5, 1 through 2, Paul writes, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. That's that struggle I'm talking about, that we have this earthly body, and one day this body will pass away, and then it will raise into a new body, and we'll be clothed in our heavenly dwelling. But until then, we live in a hashtag world. We live in a world that's not for us. There's a new world coming. We're going to look at John 17, because that's where the verse is found. Jesus is praying. I call it the real Lord's Prayer, because it's actually Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's crucified. And in that prayer, he says, they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. So what does that mean? Well, there's a famous Christian clothing line. They call it not of this world, N-O-T-W. But all the biblical translations, they don't use this. The Greek, it could be both. It could be either this or the. But in the Bible, it's very clear that when God speaks of the world currently, it's evil. It's fallen. It's sinful. So I think it's better to say not of the world, because when you think of the world, you think of this world. Now, the people of the world have given authority over to the God of the world, Satan. It's not that God is not sovereignly in control. He is. But he's given over to people to make a decision. When Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, he said, you are not children of God. You are children of the devil. What he was saying was, because you are not a believer, because you have rejected the Messiah, Jesus Christ, you have now accepted the ruler of the world as your ruler. That's a world of chaos and disorder. We still breathe the same air, but we swim in a bigger, better ocean. And that's what we should keep our eye on. So today we look at John 17, in particular, the passages where Jesus speaks of this very topic, which is John 17, 13 through 26. And we're going to talk about what variables dictate the believer's change of address, because we've changed addresses, we're just not there yet, from this world to the next. What makes us different than those of the world? Well, first, I am not of the world because I am sanctified in truth. The difference is that we're sanctified in truth. Basically, sanctified can mean set apart. So we're set apart, we're separated onto truth. So during Jesus' prayer to his Father in heaven, he asked specific things. One of these requests in John 17, 19, Jesus says, For their sake I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So notice, that request of Jesus' prayer there, 
involves an action of Jesus on his part. What is it? He's saying, for them, for their sanctification, I sanctify myself. And you say, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was God. Therefore, isn't he already holy and sanctified? The answer is yes. If you're speaking of Jesus' divinity. Well, we have to remember, Jesus was 100% God and also 100% human. So when Jesus is saying here, for their sake, I sanctify myself, he's not speaking of himself as God. He's speaking of himself as the first person to ever truly live a sanctified life, a set-apart life. And what he's saying is that when I sanctify myself for you, I set apart myself for you, Father, it's for them. He's basically saying, this is why I'm going to the cross, in obedience to die for them. So that's the greatest sanctification, right? If you're willing to die for God, and Jesus not only was willing to die for God, he was the only one to ever die a death that would pay for everyone's sin because he was perfect. So what he's saying is, Father, use me, you know, use my hands, use my feet, use my voice for your glory. And because Jesus did that all the way through to perfection and a perfect obedience, we, when we are in Christ through faith, receive that same sanctification. We are holy not in ourselves, but because Christ lives in us. Now, there's a caveat to Jesus' request. He's not only saying, sanctify, just set them apart. He's saying, set them apart into something. What is that? Truth. Set them apart, separate them onto truth. So that implies that there are others who are separated onto lies and falsehoods. That's the line in the sand where people are of the world. They're separated to a liar, the father of lies, Satan. We who are not of the world are separated onto truth, Jesus Christ, the truth. There's a line in the sand. And so when Jesus is speaking to Pontius Pilate right before he is going to be crucified, Pontius Pilate basically asks Jesus, what is truth? Now, the cool thing about Pontius Pilate is he actually wanted to know. The problem with a lot of people, they don't want to know. If you want to know, I'll tell you, God's word is truth. God's word is truth. In fact, Jesus says that right here in his prayer. He says, sanctify them in the truth. And then he explains what that is. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. So, contrary to popular opinion, there is truth. There is objective, unchanging, unedited truth. When someone doesn't believe that, they fall into a category called relativism. Relativism basically means that everything's relative. Truth is even relative, so truth can change. That's why you hear people say, that's your truth, but I have my own truth. That's confusing, to say the least. Because if there's not objective truth and only relative truth, then what is truth, right? 
When I swam under the water in Jamaica, I breathed the air in my tank and I saw things that I never saw before. I saw colors and fishes and rocks that were different than what I was used to seeing in this world. And it was so beautiful. What if I came up and I told you this and you said, that can't be true. There's no way that could exist. I would say, but my eyes saw it. Today, you could take a picture. It's as plain as day. Look. But that's the problem. People don't see or want to see the truth because once the truth becomes real to them, then there's a line in the sand. And people don't want to go there. When you talk about God's word is true, that can't be true. That's old-fashioned. There's no way that anything could be true always. That's what some people think. Or truth is what I believe it is to me. Why do they say these things? Well, because the world hates the truth. The world hates the truth. Now, I'm not saying that myself. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. In fact, in his prayer, he says, I have given them your word. So he's speaking about God's word. And the world has hated them. Who's them? The ones who believe. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So why do people hate Jesus? Because they hate truth. Why do people hate believers? Because they hate truth. Why do people reject truth? Because they hate God and his word. There's one thing to reject truth and actually like try and seek truth. They hate truth. They try to change truth to fit their own narrative for what fits in their little box of feelings and biases. That's why when you see in our world the disorder and the chaos and with the tearing down of statues, what they're trying to do is rewrite truth, rewrite history. But here's the thing. You can't change the truth of history by tearing down statues as much as you can't change the wrinkles on your face by not looking in the mirror. In other words, I can deny the wrinkles on my face as much as I want. Truth is, they're there. The older they get, the more they're Tearing down statues doesn't change the truth of history. But when you want to rewrite it to fit what your feelings and biases are relative to you, then you'll try and say, oh, that's going to change truth. It doesn't. See, relative truth is not truth at all because it changes according to the subject's feelings or biases. But objective truth, which means outside of yourself, an object outside of you brings truth, never changes because it is based on an object outside of yourself. Truth is based on facts, not feelings. And the fact is, you, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been sanctified, set apart in truth. That's why the world hates you. Now, even though people won't admit it, we're all searching for objective truth. I believe this. And this is why Jesus said, I am the truth. He also said, seek and you will find. 
When I was playing with the Beach Boys in the 80s, doing some shows in Japan, and we were in Tokyo, and Mike Love, who's the lead singer of the Beach Boys, he was very interested in transcendental meditation, and I was a seeker. I was not a Christian. I didn't know the truth, but I was seeking truth. And my brother and I both were, and we were in Tokyo, and Mike said, hey, let's go down to the Transcendental Meditation Center, which is one of the biggest in the world, and I'll pay for your training, which was like going to be a lot of money, like thousands of dollars. Maybe that's the truth. So he drives us down there, and then we go to go on the place, and it was closed. And he goes, that's weird. And it just happened to be the only week of the whole year that it was closed for some reason. Well, thank God it was closed, because not too long after that, I found the real truth which is Jesus Christ. When Jesus is speaking of the truth, it comes along with his reputation. Jesus never lied. God's word never lies. There's a reputation that comes with this. For instance, when you sign a document, you sign your name to something, you're signing that all that information is true. If you falsify a document, you'll be in major trouble. Sadly, today, People are trying to falsify lies as truth, but in the end, they will be judged accordingly because if you hate truth, you hate Jesus, which means you hate God, which means you reject God's love and forgiveness. Next, the world hates truth, but the world needs truth. This is so important. The world needs truth. So what is truth? What if I told you I had a quarter in my pocket? Would you believe me? What would make my statement, I have a quarter in my pocket, true? There's a quarter in my pocket. One of the blessings of quarantine has been how much we save on gas, right? We don't drive anywhere anymore. But what if before COVID, you decided that to save money, you're going to put water in your gas tank? What would happen? Well, let me tell you what happened. I'm not an expert mechanic, but I can tell you this, water doesn't burn. So once it got to your fuel pump, your engine would stop. Now, let's say I'm a good neighbor and I come up to you and I see you putting water in your gas tank. And I say, neighbor, don't you know that you're going to ruin your engine by putting water in your gas tank? And then my neighbor looks at me and says, don't judge me. Mind your own business. That's your truth. This is my truth. What kind of person would that be? A fool. There's lots of fools running around claiming to have quarters in their pockets and trying to put water in their gas tanks. God's law is true and valid, just like the law of what runs through your car. God's law is true. Think about the law of gravity. What would happen if you jumped off a 10-story building? As a good friend, I see you ready to jump off a 10-story building. And I say, friend, don't jump. Because the law of gravity is true, and you're going to descend downward really fast and die. And then you say, leave me alone. Why are you so judgmental? My truth is my truth. And I'm going to say, your truth is not true at all. Your truth is going to kill you. And that's the problem with not sharing the truth. People are dying. They're believing lies. God's law is truth. 
because it's not according to my feelings or my biases. Dictionary.com defines truth. That which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. That's a great definition. But then the second definition, the B definition, is very sad. It says, truth is a fact or belief that is accepted as true. Since when does truth become truth only when it's accepted? I don't know if it was either Booker T. Washington or Mark Twain. We're not sure. Someone said this. It's really good. A lie doesn't become truth. Wrong doesn't become right. And evil doesn't become good just because it is accepted by a majority. Because here's the thing. A majority can be majorly wrong. When Jesus prayed this in his prayer, he said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. Why is Jesus saying, Father, don't take them out of the world? I mean, wouldn't it be better if the moment you accepted Christ, you were beamed up, Scotty, and you were with Jesus in heaven, and you were swimming in that new world, with no cares or concerns and no sin to bog you down, wouldn't that be great? But why did he leave us here? Well, because we are truth tellers, just like Jesus. And if we were taken out of this world, then truth will never be known. And as bad as this world is, it would be much, much worse. Now notice Jesus does say, keep them from the evil one. I appreciate that prayer. And by the way, it says evil one, and I like that too, because in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus prayed, deliver us, it's documented, deliver us from evil. It really should be evil one. It's the same word. It's translated this way here in John, but in Matthew and Luke, it's translated differently. I know what Jesus is saying. He's saying, keep them from the evil one, the liar, the destructor, the person that wants to destroy them, the destroyer. I appreciate that prayer. You should too. Because we are truth tellers and we're going to be attacked. We're living in disorderly times. The spirit of the Antichrist is here. Which, by the way, is the same spirit as the spirit of lawlessness and rebellion and anarchy, which is the spirit of disobedience to authority. The world needs truth. That's why we're here. So we're in the world to tell the truth. But here's the thing as well. The church needs truth. The truth unifies the church and points people to Jesus. So Jesus ends his prayer. To me, it's one of the most incredible things he says in this prayer about unity and being one. The church shouldn't be like the world. We are people of the truth. But sadly, I've seen the church begin to hate truth more and more. And you can't tell truth if you don't know truth. The truth needs to be taught. The truth needs to be known and preached and accepted and believed. And when believers begin to love the world more than the truth, the church suffers. In fact, John the Apostle writes, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So be careful whose side you're on. Fill your mind with truth. Be a truth teller. What is the evidence then of someone who loves God and his truth more than the world? It's unity and joy. Turn to your Bibles. We're going to end just going back through this passage real quick in John 17, starting in verse 13. Let's go through this. 
So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays, but now I come to you, Father, and these things speak. I speak in the world. What things? The truth, so that they may have joy. So joy comes from knowing the truth and believing the truth. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, bummer, but to keep them from the evil one. Thank you. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. See, there's the thing. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. Why? For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. And this is a cool thing. Now he's praying for us. But for those who will believe in me through their word, the truth. That's you. That's me. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus, remember, he says, I and the Father are one. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, I know you. Thank God, because Jesus tells the truth. And these have known that you sent me, and I've made your name known to them, and I will make it known. That's what we're supposed to do too. So that the love in which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now let's just look real quick at a couple passages here. And it's all based on separated to the truth. So first of all, when Jesus says in verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's important. What he's saying is that we would be one. What does that mean, one? Is it one in nature? Is it one in mind and purpose? Is it worshiping the same way? I don't think it's that. I think we can have our own styles and this and that. But what he's saying is that we would be one because we're one in nature, that we would be one in mind and purpose. That's what keeps us in the truth. When the church starts to drift from the truth, that's where the division comes. And then he says, because this is important, that when they are one, then they are acting like us. Jesus is saying, when they are one, then they are presenting you, Father, and me, to the world correctly. They're living in the truth. And here's the caveat that's incredible. All this is for the purpose so that the world may believe in Jesus. So when the church is one, there's personalities and all that. I'm not talking about uniformity. I'm talking about unity in the word, believing in the word. When you stop believing the word is true, you might as well just pack up somewhere else. You're not the church. The church should have the authority of God's word as the authority. And everything else falls into line with that because we are sanctified in the truth. And then in verse 23, he says it again. I in them 
you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, but it's the same word as the other word in Greek, one, so that the world may know and you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. So he's not really talking about institutional or ecumenical unity. He's speaking of spiritual unity, which we have in Christ, but as we are sanctified in the truth, we're living like that. We're set apart because truth matters. We're swimming in the same ocean. You might be swimming over there at that church, might be swimming over there at this church, but we're all in the same world of God's world, and the way that we swim is in the direction of truth. That's how it works. Now, I'm not of the world. I am of the word. And you know how they say you want to give worldly advice? I'm changing it to wordy advice. Live like you know the truth. Live like you know the truth. Don't swim in their ocean. Swim in God's ocean. Yes, they're going to hate you, but they'll see, hopefully, the truth through you in action and in word. Now, just to end this, I don't have time to get into this, but after Jesus prays this in John 17, guess what happens next? You know what happens directly after Jesus prays this prayer in Gethsemane? Judas betrays Jesus. Now, Judas was with the truth. Judas heard the truth. Judas fellowshiped with the truth, but Judas rejected truth. It's not enough to be with truth tellers. You have to be a truth teller. It's not enough to be with people who believe the truth. You have to believe the truth yourself. Don't be a Judas. Be like Jesus. Not of this world, of another world, of God's world, which is built around truth. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that truth matters, especially today as we see people who are drifting away under the authority of Satan, the father of lies. I pray, Father, that you would bring those like I was um, in the 80s and I was searching and you protected me because you had a plan. And I know there's so many other people that have that same plan that you're calling to swim in a different ocean. And the only way they're going to know this is that we swim toward them and that we share what we know, which is Jesus and his truth, which is his word. It's plain as day, but help us and cause us not to be in the darkness, to fall into the trap of the chaos, but to live in the light as Jesus is in the light and walk in the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me your voice.